Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. I'm so excited to have you all meet Ashanti Branch. I met him at the Wisdom 2.0 conference and we had a more authentic exchange there as I was helping carpool some of his youth from Ever Forward Club around. You know, when you're juggling kids, the conversations get real, real fast. And Ashanti's a pretty amazing human. He grew up in Oakland, California to a single mom living on welfare. He had a magical experience with a teacher that you'll hear about that changed the trajectory of his life. He became an engineer and then left that career to go back into the school system, hoping that he could change the way that students interact with their education and the way that schools interact with students. Was a teacher for 10 years, failed, you'll hear the story, and formed the Ever Forward Club. You may have seen the documentary, The Mask You Wear, based on some of Ashanti's work. He also, I think, underplays some of the other things that he's done, but he was awarded with a Fulbright Exchange Fellowship in India, a Rotary Club Cultural Ambassadorial Fellowship to Mexico, and in 2010, he was Teacher of the Year from Alameda Contra Costa County in, for math educators. So without further ado, and please listen all the way till the end, because what Ashanti shares at the end of this conversation will really light you up. Ashanti Branch. I had plans to be retired by 45. I was going to be an engineer. I was going to do some incredible things on my own business. I had a lot of plans. And, um, you know, I grew up in Oakland, California. I was raised by a single mother. There's a lot of struggles. My father died before I was born. Oakland, you know, growing up, there's certain, you know, things you have to do to protect yourself and feel like you're protected. And um, I think at home, there was a lot of rules. There was a lot of rules about how you can be. And there are certain rules that as a boy in Oakland, you can't show any feelings or any emotions. And I, I fell into those, all those rules. That, and there were rules inside my house and there were rules on the outside of my house. They're inside my house, kind, gentle, respectful, responsible, please thank you. You know, I was cooking and cleaning. I, I, was, a, I was a man at the house at seven years old. And so when you go outside, um, you know, those, I think those are all really good qualities of, of a human to be kind and caring and empathetic. Um, but when you go outside in Oakland as a boy, you know, try that trying to go play basketball or try that plan to play on the playground. <laughs> please, will you please hand me the ball? Yeah, can I please play next, right? And I think a lot of the rules just kind of somehow were, were kind of, they were, I had to find some new sets of rules outside that could let me survive and feel like I was going to be. Um, respected and, and, and at least, at least protected, at least protecting my own self. And I think 
those were kind of tricky. And so, yeah. you know, middle school, I, I mean, it's a lot of story, but I'll go into middle school. I was on the wrong road. I was getting in a lot of trouble. Um, enough trouble that you don't call my house. Like I was getting enough trouble at school to <laughs> keep the trouble there, but trying not to be bad because you call my house, then you mess up my stuff at home. And I, I have this thing I got to keep at home because I'm in charge of all these responsibilities. And so then a teacher just saved my life. A teacher, you know, she, she just poured into me and I, I didn't like her class. Um, I, she was an English teacher. I didn't like English, but I liked her. And so I, you know, when she gave me detention that day, I was mad and I was like, Oh, I'm never talking to her again. Mm-hmm. And so I basically, um, her, her conversation with me that day, she said, um, I know you're sad that your father died before you were born, but life doesn't give you what you want. Life gives you what you get and you got to make the most out of it. Right. And I heard it. And I, I don't know if it was the next day or the next week, but my life changed after that. And I think teachers were confused. They were like, Shanti, you, you're doing work. Like you're paying attention. Like you're like, this work ain't hard. It never was that the work was hard. I just didn't care. You know what I'm saying? I had permission at that point to be that sadness was okay. Mm. This person who really didn't know me, but she knew a little bit of my story. And that gave me permission to just be a little bit more alive and be more self. Mm-hmm. And I knew that you couldn't walk around the streets of Oakland being a sad little boy. So I was like, okay, but this is, I had permission that my, the fact that my father died and I don't have him in my life, there's a reason. I have, a, I have, I have the right to be sad about that. Mm-hmm. I think that's when I got permission. And so I just began to open doors. So I went to high school on track, going to college, went to graduate, graduated from college, became an engineer, started making a lot of money, and it was beautiful. And then all of a sudden, something inside of me was like, you know, you should be a teacher. Mm, no kidding. I didn't know the engineering part. Oh, yeah. I was at civil engineering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I worked hard for that. I was six years of college. That's I didn't a know lot that. of math, my friend. I wasn't on the four-year plan. It was a lot of math, a lot of differential equations, a lot of st- calculus and all the other math design. It was a lot. It's a lot. And um, one, and I, you know, that I worked so hard. I was like, I'm never leaving this work. <laughs> as right. hard as I worked, as much money as I paid for this education, you know what I'm saying? So, but I think that the calling inside was like, you should be a teacher. You should be an mm. educator. Mm. Like, and I'm like, teachers don't make money. Oh, why would I ever do a job that don't make money? I already, I invested in this degree, you know? Right. And I, I fought it. I ran from it. And I think there's one thing when somebody on the outside of you is telling you that you should do some kind of job or you should be this or be that. You can, you know, if you have the, you have, you have the power to say, I'm not listening to you. So don't, right. I'm, but it's different when the voice on the inside is saying, this is what you should be doing. And the calling was clear. And so I went back to school, went to Mills College in Oakland, got my teaching credential a master's in education. Um, I had already been teaching at Upward Bound at, at Mills College okay. as an engineer. Um, and that's how it just all began to come together. And that's where it all happened. So first year teaching. So I, I don't know how much story you want me to tell because that, that's when I became an educator, right? So I went, became an educator. And that first year teaching, I'm failing. Like yeah. I'm failing. Like not, not like really? small failing. So like, you I'm went failing. through all these hard math classes, but you're failing at education classes. Well. No, I wasn't. Fa- no, the educated. No, my work at Mills College was easy to become okay. a teacher because <laughs> I, I felt like it was what I was supposed to be doing. And when you're like, oh, okay. you're supposed to be doing the engineering, the, the the teaching education classes was the problem. My first year as a teacher, like standing in front of kids every day. Uh-huh. Why? Yeah. Like, well, because there was these young men in my class who I could tell were really smart, and they were failing mm-hmm. my class. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you failing my class? Like, fail a class of one of these teachers who don't like you. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yes. I, I love you. Like, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm not here for this check, for sure. I'm definitely here for something different. So I, I want you to pass, and you got to be successful. And you're smart. Why are you not doing it? And I forgot who I was in middle school. Like, I, at the moment, I had forgotten that in middle school, I was acting the same way. Mm. I realized that no teacher had ever caught them. No teacher had ever sat them down and, like, helped them find that phrase that was going to change their life. So they came to high school acting like I used to act in middle school, but I had forgotten because I was older. Yeah, that adult so, brain amnesia that we get, huh? Yeah. With, with youth. Mm. And so right. I said, look, I, I invited me to lunch. Um, I was like, I'm going to try one more thing. I mean, it was like the end of the first year. And I was like, you know what? I'll quit. I, I was clear that I signed up to be broke financially. <laughs> I didn't sign up to be broke and a failure. You know what I mean? Like, right. I refuse to be both of those things. And so I was, I was going to go back to make money. Like, why would I stick here and be not doing a good job at something that I think I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not willing to wait around and fail kids for years and then figure it out. That's not, I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. Mm. And so I invited some of them into lunch. I think deep down I was invited to my retirement party, but they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I told them at that lunch, I said, look, I got an idea. I'll buy you lunch once a week. In exchange for lunch, you teach me how to be a better teacher. Hmm. Like, tell me, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Help me so this figure was a out. senior teacher. No, I was, I was a first-year teacher. No, but this was a senior teacher you were going to lunch with. No, no, no. I invited these young men to lunch. Oh, the men. The, the young guys. men. Yeah, the young men in my class. Oh, man, what an empowered stance to give them. Well, I, I was at the end of my rope. I had tried everything. I, tried, I knew the math. It wasn't that I didn't know the math. It wasn't that I didn't care about my job. It wasn't that I wasn't right. prepared. It was that somehow I was, missing the, I was missing something between me and them that was causing them not to re- relate, connect. And when I started asking them, tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know, they tried a few things. Oh, you should give no homework. You know, they tried a few of those. I'm like, that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> but really deep down after we started having lunch every week, they were just like, man, I ain't going to be no nerd. You want me to be a nerd? I'm, I'm not going to be no geek, no teacher's mm-hmm. pet. Like everything to know about being smart in class was about also a negative connotation to it. And I was like, and I knew that I couldn't just say, save smart, save cool until you're out of college. I couldn't say that, right? I had to figure another way for to help them realize it. But that's how our lunch meetings began. They were like inquiries. And I just kept learning from them. And I was clear that that's how I was going to get through. That was how I was going to break through the noise. And that's how Ever Forward started. And that's where the work really began. So do you want to tell everyone what Ever Forward is? Because some people that are listening to us don't actually know your work. They haven't yeah. seen the mask you live in. So would you share a little with us? Yeah. So Ever Forward is a youth development program. Um, we aim to eliminate the dropout rate, eliminate the achievement gap, um, eliminate the high rates of teenage violence in a, in a really preventive manner. We have a clubs that meet at different schools that are called Ever Forward Clubs. And the young men get a chance to really let go of some of that steam that sometimes gets built up inside of them and usually end up exploding in mm-hmm. the wrong places at the wrong time. Yeah against the wrong people. Yeah. And so that's Ever Forward Club. So we have three programs. We have the club, and then we have Ever Forward Professional Development. We work with teachers and parents and social workers and community workers and anybody who's really kind of supporting young people to grow and develop. And then we have Ever Forward Experiences. It's our third program. And that's um, the signature work in that is our Taking Off the Mask workshop, which was featured in the documentary. It was created in the documentary and then it began to grow into kind of our, our work. 
Um, and then we do events around the Bay Area. We have two big events, um, the 24-Hour Relay Challenge that happens in Oakland. Um, young people walk and run for 24 hours on a camp out on the football field. It's like a annual event. This, this year is our 15th annual coming up, 2019. 15th? Yeah, 15. We, turn, we turn 15. Actually, Ever this is, Forward is 15. Yeah, we turn 15. So it's going to be really exciting. It's going to now be. Now I know why you have all those gray hairs. Yeah, you can see all, I named them after students. I'm like, this is you, <laughs> that's yours. <laughs> so they know they, they, I, I have a part of my heart in them with them. Um, yeah, and that's going to be our, our 15th anniversary. We're going to celebrate with the 15 year olds all over. We're, everyone's welcome to the event, but we're going to do a big celebration for anyone turning 15 in 2019. So, yeah, we're, uh, it's exciting. That's cool. That's really cool. Hey, I want to reflect a couple of things because there's a yeah. couple things that you said that have really um, impacted me. So first, that first teacher that woke you up. Yeah. It's like she, you said, she gave me permission to feel my sadness, but it almost sounded like because she gave you permission, you weren't swallowed by it anymore. You didn't have to live, live it out. Yeah. I, I think if you asked me back then, I would have been like, I'm angry. But underneath, you were sad. Yeah, but underneath, and I was She reflected oh, that back to you, didn't she? Absolutely. Deep sadness. Like, like anytime I would see a father getting dropped off, I mean, some of my friends getting dropped off by his father, or like a father taking his son somewhere, like I would feel it. Right. I would feel it, you know? And yeah. it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a whole, I think they call it a father wound, right? This yeah, idea yeah. That what would have been there with a healthy relationship with a father would have not created this wound. And I, I never had that around so yeah it, it was a it was a moment like i mean you know looking back you reflected but i remember when she said that sentence and i remember i didn't hear nothing if she talked for a half an hour she was blabbing on forever <laughs> i didn't hear nothing <laughs> i only heard one sentence i remember that sentence because i was like because i was already ready to argue back at her when she mm -hmm. was talking about i was sad because i was got to correct her because i knew that as a black boy in oakland you can't be sad Right. So I was just going to correct her, right? And then when she said that whole sentence, I, it, it made sense, and it caught it, and I was like, hmm, okay. And I think it was hard because I really thought I was smart. But in middle school, where I went to school, I went to a school in Oakland on 35th Avenue, Calvin Simmons Middle School. Like, like you, you, you only can get away with trying to be too, so smart. Mm -hmm. You can't be too smart, right? Because mm -hmm. then you turn into becoming all these names, nerd, geek, teacher's pet. So you can be up to a level of smartness with the people you want to hang out with, and then it's too much, right? Yeah. And I, I, I was, I, I had to stay below the line. I don't want to cause no attention to myself in any kind of negative way, you know? Yeah. 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 You gotta belong. Gotta well, belong. yeah, it's funny because I was just reading some research about how marginalized communities, whether you're, it's based on race or gender or sexual identity, you like look across the playing field. And if you're used to being kind of tapped down on your head, you'll look across and you'll tap other people down because you're used to being tapped down. Stay small, buddy. Mm. Women do it to other women. Um, black people do it to other black people. Gay people do it to other gay people. And it's, uh, it's really fascinating um, if you think about that stuff. So I find it interesting that you kind of figured out that you needed to have the same mechanism to, to get, reach your students because in a way you kind of got below. I mean, that, these lunches. Yeah. these lunches did something way more than teach you how to be a good teacher. Don't you think that you were like reaching them underneath all the story and all the toughness? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, 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 we created a space in those lunches where like our, our, 
we only had a half hour, so it was really fast. Like lunch had to come in, get some food, sit down, we talk, we start talking. The first thing we do is check in. How's everybody doing? What's going on? What's new? What's hot? Whatever. And to be able to recognize that all these students who outside of the class, outside of this set, this lesson at lunch, you would never know that they were dealing with some real human stuff, right? Because they all acted like, I don't feel nothing. And I'm, I'm too yeah. cool to feel stuff, right? So yeah. like nothing matters to them. But when you get in that space and you see these other young people also talking about the struggles they're having at home and in fact, they couldn't sleep at night because they were hearing shots out. Like the stuff that they were dealing with, like you just, you just, like I just, my job was a whole space and I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't, I didn't create program because I was like, let me create this program. Yeah. I was at a, a loss as a teacher and I said, what I was seeing was working was just creating a space where they could talk and they yeah. could be heard and yeah. where I was holding space for them. And I was like, I was holding them to really high expectations. Like they, mm -hmm. they knew to be a part of our club. Like lunch was free, but it wasn't free. <laughs> I've watched <laughs> you with some of your, your kids. That's right. like, Whoa. Shanti just laid it down right there. Oh, you don't put up with much. <laughs> I told somebody like what firm loving kindness. It's it, there's, there's absolutely oh. no question about where you stand on stuff. I really learned. I've, I've watched you. I watch you. And I have, I'm a little bit wimpy when it comes to boundaries. And you're, you're like the sweetest person, but you're not wimpy at all. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I was somewhere and somebody asked me that. They asked me, you know, why are you being so hard on one of the students? I don't know, even know what it was about anymore. But I remember I was thinking, I wasn't being hard on him. I was actually loving him. I was showing him and telling him something really important about how he shows up in public and how he shows up here because he's representing not only himself and his family and yeah. us. Like, and I, I say it's kind of like a, when you watch the National Geographic and you see a, a mother animal or, a, a, you know, primal, they will grab the baby by the right back. By the of the and you're like, they're going to kill the baby. They know what they're doing. And I, and I think I said it was something like that. I said, I, did, I said, I didn't do that to hurt him. I did that to really help him. And that if I'm, if I'm not here, if he acts that way out in public, that could be dangerous for his own life. Oh, that's my life, my room. That could be dangerous for his life, right? Let me let me get the light back. So yeah, yeah. Oh, do, you have to, do you have to wave your hands? <laughs> oh yeah, it's like it's it's on the court, it's over there. That's cool. Um, but yeah, and I said, I, but ultimately, I was it's always out of love. It's always out of care. Even when they're mad about it, sometimes they don't get mad about it, and other people are like more mad than the student. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, that that was just out of care, right? Mm -hmm. I try and do it always out of the way. I try and pull them to the side. You know, Sometimes people so like, you don't humiliate them or shame yeah, them. Oh no, never, yeah. never, never a goal around that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes if you're in public and you got to correct some behavior, you got to correct some behavior. And I always try and do it really, you know, close and quiet. Um, but you know, if you're if you're an observant person, you're like, he's having a serious talk over there, even though I can hear no sounds, right? And um, it, no, it it's very you're very skillful. It's it's really I, I feel like I want to get out my notebook and take parenting <laughs> notes from you sometimes. I'm like, oh man, oh man, that's 11 years of teaching. I was teaching <sighs> yeah. 11 years. Like you just learn. Like I, I learned the hard way because I used to be super like aggressive and, and oh yeah, oh yeah. As a first year teacher, I mean, I was I came from engine. I came from engineering. I was like, I mean, I was like in charge i was a project engineer you know i'm mad like managing projects so coming to school i'm like what are you doing sit down why are you over here talking while i'm talking right like <laughs> you really I, believed in that top down kind of leadership yeah, right yeah i was in charge and then i learned i learned from students you know i learned from students like 
Like, what's going on? What, what? I always ask a lot of questions. Like, to what am I? What am I doing wrong? Like, what's happening? Well, you're it's not, you're, you're a little bit too aggressive, Mr. Branch. You're a little bit too. I said aggressive. When was I being aggressive? It's like, well, you said it. it what your words you said? It was like that idea. Like you said these words. It wasn't really anything wrong with the words. It was just like your facial expression during the word. Right? It was like you were like. You, you could tell that you were upset. Like, soon as, so I had these students, these uh, two girls in one of my class, they would come in the morning, they would walk up to me, they were like, is today a good day? Is today a good day? And I'd be like, yeah, of course. It's okay. You're not looking like it's a good day. <laughs> Are you going to be a jerk to me in class today? Are you going to be a jerk to me in class today? <laughs> well, they, would, they, would, they would look at my face because my face, you know, sometimes I would just be in my thoughts. And I, right. if I'm not purposely smiling, it looks like I'm frowning. Like this Oh, you've is, got resting bitch face. <laughs> Oh, how'd you know that? How'd you know that word? Well, come on. Huh? I've been around the we, block before. Well, you know, that's one of the one of the masks we got from Australia says that on the front. Yes. On the front of the mask, that's what it says. And on the back it says caring, loving. It means it can't. I, I, I was I, when I saw that one, I was I was kind of blown away. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But we see it. We see it with our young people walk around looking angry is all out and when you hang out with them you realize they're just such a incredible students right it's, it's so incredible yeah. but they've been taught that they got to keep the shell up the shell got to keep them protected yeah um and i know that and so our work is how do we help them break down the shell in, in safe places with safe people that yeah. they can let go of some of that steam so they can be like ah, i can breathe right i can breathe yeah. now well, so I'm sort of extrapolating what you're saying and applying it to what we do at Sidewalk Talk. And I want to reflect back a few things I've learned in this conversation, even though we haven't been talking about it like a lesson plan. I've taken some lessons. So let me just see if I'm getting it right. It sounds to me like when you hold space for people, you're doing it in a way that you're not patronizing them. And you're doing it in a way where you're very mindful about your use of power, that you're using enough power to make them feel safe, but not so much power that they feel disempowered or treated badly. Yeah. And that in doing that, it creates a sense of safety in them and a sense of being able to share a little bit more about what's below the mask. Is that, it's kind of what I'm hearing as you're talking. Is that kind of right? Absolutely. It's all about, and when, I, when we're in a circle, when we're in a space, I want you to know that I'm just here to listen. Hmm. I'm here as a, as a person leading the circle. We, we, have, we call them mentor-led circles. But my job is to let the wisdom of the circle in that space hold space. And if I'm meeting with a student one-on-one, I'm just like, hey, how, you know, how can I have support? What do you need support right. from? And like, I, as an adult, I'm, I have a hard time asking people for help. So when a young person is like, so they're like, oh, I don't need nothing. I'm like, okay, we're not, we're not getting anywhere yet. Because when I was, you know, when I was a dean, after I became a teacher and I became a dean, I'm like, you have zero credits and you're a junior. Mm-hmm. Like, if you could have figured it out by yourself, I imagine you would have by now because what junior in high school wants to have zero credits? Right. First of all, how is it humanly possible that people let you get through to become a junior in high school with zero credits? Right. That seems almost like shameful. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, the fact that you can sit here across from me and say, no, you don't need nothing from me and I'm only here for you. Like, <laughs> I only ask that question because I want to genuinely support you and if you say nothing... I either would believe that you don't trust me enough, so it means I need to figure out how to help you gain more trust that I really want to support you, or I need to build more connection with yeah. you so that you can recognize that, that this is about helping build you up and help you to the next level. And so 
what what it is about sometimes they're still not ready and you're like well listen i just need you to know that here, here's how this is going to play out you know and i would give them some scenarios about how it's going to play out mm-hmm. if you're a junior in high school and you have zero credits you're probably not going to finish at that high school right mm-hmm. depending on lots of scenarios but more than likely you're going to end up at a continuation school so i'll say listen i want to tell you about some scenarios and then you decide which scenario you want to work with and then let's figure out how to support you like if you want to really graduate from this school, right. you're going to start working real, real hard right now. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you got the skills to do it. And so do it. But if you don't, then you may need some help and you may need to not sit silent by somebody who's coming to you. And so it's like, never like you must tell me what you want or mm-hmm. must tell me how I can help. I'm like the savior. No, I just want you to know that somebody in the past have left you hanging. Right. And all I can do right now is just be an ear. And if you want help, I can listen or I can support. What yeah. do you want? If you want me to listen, I'll listen. So thrilled to have you here listening to the Sidewalk Talk podcast. It is the biggest giving month of the year for most nonprofits. And if you are here and you believe that what Sidewalk Talk is doing is calling you, I want you to consider becoming one of the 100 folks that we are trying to find who want to become investors monthly to the Sidewalk Talk mission of helping us all come to the table to end this epidemic of loneliness, the violence and disconnection in our world that is perpetuated by a me culture so that we can create a we culture and create health and wellness for people, communities, our politics, and our planet. We can do this. And 7,000 of us in 92 locations across 15 countries are listening. And that doesn't happen without people like you behind the scenes investing. So we don't want your dollars. We want your investment, your whole heart. And that'll come with dollars, and it'll come with your care and sharing this message with others in your life. Become one of the hundred because you know that connection is the centerpiece of our lives could radically alter the state of affairs in our world today. You said a word that I really want to ask you about because this doesn't just happen at Sidewalk Talk along race. It happens just period. But every once in a while we get volunteers that really want to do a lot of saving of people. Um, what do you think that's about in us that we want to save people? And can you say something about how that's not effective? Mm, that's a great question. <sighs> I would say um, it's a really powerful question. I, I think that um, as a teacher, I became a teacher because I wanted to give back. And I, I had to learn early on really quickly in my mm-hmm. teaching career that, um, that as much as I thought I wanted to come and be like, I didn't want to be a savior. I wanted to come back and give back to my community. I had to realize that there was nothing that I could do if the students weren't willing to be participants in what I was trying to help. And so therefore all I can do is I realize that I don't have, I'm not in control. I, I try and create an environment where I create space for people to be in the best learning environment possible, but ultimately they have to do the work. And so if I'm going to be, if I, if I thought I was coming in there to save all these kids, then if when they're, when they're not being saved, meaning they're not passing their classes and they're not 
and I'm going to feel like something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, I must not be doing my job or mm-hmm. you are ungrateful because I came to save you and you didn't grab onto it. It's kind of like that story they talked, there's a story that someone told me once about, um, I don't know, there's a long story, I won't tell you the story, but this idea that like a person that was sending help, like they were waiting for some help, they were waiting for some help and it didn't come in the package they were looking for mm-hmm. and so they ended up not making, getting what they wanted. And this idea that I may not be what you need to move you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can be a catalyst to help you find what you need. And so if I come in thinking that my job is to fix the broken, <laughs> then I, I, I'll, I'll always be frustrated because my job is really just to say, hey, do you need, what, what, do you, what do you need? Do you need an ear or do you need some support? And I try and let people decide where they want that help. And, and or I, I work with young people and they join our program. They want to be a part of a brotherhood. So it's mm-hmm. like, look, when, when I'm, there are certain expectations I'm going to have of you if you join this circle because we got to take care of each other in these ways. And I really, I really believe that. And I think that even when they are come to the meeting and they're like, they're in one of those moods, right? It's like, yeah, right. So your job is to be in here just to listen today. Maybe you, you're not going to take on the role of whatever role you used to play because today you may need the circle. And the other days when you come in, you're ready. Your job is to support the circle. And yeah, um, yeah I think the saving part is, I, I had to realize that I don't, I don't get to, I don't get to, and I, you know, the one of the way I'll say, thing I'll say about that is I also don't get to um, control what happens as a response when I'm offering my help. Like if I'm offering my support, let's say I'm just going to offer to listen and a person doesn't take advantage of it. I didn't, I don't have any, I don't even, that's not on me. I just offered. And if I start getting tied into the results, if I offered and now I got, you didn't tell me a deep story or you didn't tell me what I really thought I wanted to hear and I get mm-hmm. angry or frustrated like you didn't benefit from it, I don't have any control over that. All I can do is offer and however you respond to it, I will offer it from the most genuine place I can and know that that's all I got. That's mm-hmm. all I can do. And that's yeah. when I find that the best. When I finally get in my mind that I don't control the results. I can just be, the, be an offering and if the person doesn't, Need it, want it, take, use, utilize it. I did my part. Yeah, time and again, as you talk, what I hear you sort of indirectly coming back to is this idea that I am here for you, but I'm doing that by connecting and empowering you. And when you need to fix someone, when you need to save someone, it's about your agenda and your power and your control. Yeah. But when you're really of service, you're empowering through the connection. That's right. And it doesn't matter where it goes because it's up to the other person where it goes. That's right. That's right. You're giving them the ball. They're picking up the ball and they might decide, I don't like a football. I'm going to change it to a soccer ball or I'm going to change to a, what do they call those little badminton things? Whatever. But you're sort of inspiring them to pick it up. Not yet. The outcome isn't up to you. Imagine if, imagine, that's a great analogy. Imagine if you're thinking that you, you're playing a baseball and the person says, no, nah, I want to bounce the ball. And you're still sitting there with your bat like, hey, <laughs> what's wrong with you? I'm, you didn't make me feel good about myself. That's not going to work. That, that ball doesn't work in this court. So give, just get back to the other thing I was talking about because that's what I want, right? And then it's, it's, it's not going to work. It, it, well, it's good, the outcome is probably going to be a little bit messy. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if people in the basketball court brought out bats because they thought they were playing baseball. Yeah. There's going to be some sore knees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> well, so if there was some advice, you know, we have a, a diverse team of volunteers, but, you know, I, I think that, I think youth are still an enigma, no matter what background they come from. There's, so there's that group all together. And you've got inner city youth, you've got young black men, you've got young Latino men. What is it that um, you could offer us by way of how we could more skillfully widen our embrace? I'm already getting let go of fixing, hold space, right? Um, keep it safe, don't demand. But are there some other things that um, you might suggest that our listeners think about when we're sitting on the sidewalk? And, and we did, we had a really sweet event. Um, the month before I went on vacation, we actually had, we have one listener and she's German and she's lovely. And I don't know, she's just got this infectious smile. And um, these five young black kids just were, for whatever reason, just really liked her. And they've come back two months in a row and they pull up all the chairs around her in a circle. And she just listens to them all. They really, really like her. So, I'm, so I probably should interview her next. because <laughs> She's doing something right. But um, I don't know that all our volunteers know how to listen to youth or listen to kids that have had a different experience in life that have lost a father listening to bullets flying by their home every night. What mm. do you have to offer them? You know, um, Jim Collins um, in one of his books uh, talks about this one professor said to him uh, that you should spend more time being curious than being clever, something like that. And so this idea that sometimes we, we we believe that we have good stuff to say we got some good stuff and so we're ready to give our good stuff to people even though we may well, come I'm in guilty thinking, of that one you're just calling me out right now my friend <laughs> well, <not even. laughs> it's okay i'd say okay. yeah and i think that sometimes it's like how about we just be more curious mm. and i think that that's the idea of like sometimes when i think i have a lot to say i'm, I'm like am i talking too much i just have to keep checking myself Am I listening more than I talk? I tell you know, students at this one workshop, I've heard it before, we have two ears and one mouth, right? How about we mm. use those in that ratio, right? Mm. How about I listen twice as much as I speak? And so just yeah. by being curious. And if I'm asking questions, like, are they out of curiosity or are they out of trying to take this person on a journey that I want to take them in, right? How much is, can I just be curious, right? If, uh, and two people listening to the same conversation will be probably curious about two different things. Yeah, right, yeah. so there's no formula to say here's how to be curious, mm. but maybe it's just don't take the curiousness to say, oh, I think you should talk about that thing. So let me dig in more there, and and maybe that's part of curiosity too. But I think when I get to a place where I'm just maybe I'm sitting with somebody for a minute, and it's like a maybe a minute of silence, where I'm not trying to get to nowhere, I'm just gonna let the side. Some people are uncomfortable with silence. As a teacher, I learned to love silence. Like, I'll ask a question, and I'll let it ride. There's some gravitas in that silence. And just let it be, right? They heard the question. They heard it. Mm. Or maybe there's nothing to say right this moment. And I'll just maybe say, is there anything else you want to say? Mm. You want to tell me more about one of those things you just told me? And just let it... I don't know. I just think there's a, there's a really big benefit in just being curious. And so I think that when young people, you know, if, if they come to one of the chairs and for the first time, they're like, what is this? What are you trying to do? You're trying to sell me something? You're trying to, it may be, you may be like skeptical. Like, 
are you going to do with what I tell you, right? What do you, you know, what can I really tell you and then not get me in trouble somewhere? How can I really be honest and right? You know, right? So they're going to, like when we do the mask work, right? We're, we're asking people even, because they're anonymous. We don't know where, where the card, who it is, but it's like, well, I'm just here to listen, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever you guys want to talk about, right? And if I can just be there in that space and just be like, wow. When you first told me what you were doing, I was like, I could use some of that. Mm-hmm. I could use some of that just to like, no agenda, nobody, nobody else's agenda to try and just like, I can just be like, let some stuff go, right? <laughs> How, how awesome that would be, right? We had this one young kid sit down. He was only seven. And his, he was in town from Houston right after the hurricane. Mm. So I think he and his mom were start just needing to have a reprieve. And he sat down in the chair. He said, you mean I can say anything? And our volunteer said, yeah. He goes, okay, great. I'm going to say a word, and then you have to rhyme a word back with me. And he did that for 20 minutes. And he just thought it was great. Like, I can really just say whatever I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> so he got to lead the say lead the space. Yeah, you know what? That's what he wanted to do. You yeah. know, he probably had a lot of chaos at home and that probably felt really good to him. I'm in charge right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's really awesome. I'll send you a cute picture of him. His mom let us take his picture because it's really cute. Oh my god. Nice. Cutest kid. So I want to say the last thing. What you said was lead with curiosity and you said leave silence ask the curious question and then be quiet i gotta remember that one that was good because you you the uh, curious versus clever is great and then curious followed by silence that is double great that's powerful yeah Yeah. it's amazing it works it works it works with young people and it works with adults too right i went to a meditation retreat i'll tell you this one thing i went to a meditation retreat it was 10 days in silence you did a 10 day yeah vipassana and i my mind was in it was running around all over the place but when when the silence broke you had an option to either stay in silence or to start talking and i remember just saying i think i just need to like hold on like i could tell people there were some people there who were like they were like say go say go say go (laughs) as soon as they released the silence there were people they were just like it was it was amazing i was just watching people I was like, no, I kept my thing on or something. I remember, I forgot how I did it. And it was like, no, I'm good. I'm not ready yet. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was just like that amazingness about just like giving that time to just when I'm ready, when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Just because you're, you're ready to talk. Maybe I'm not ready to talk. And that's like, oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to talk. Even though I had been silent for 10 days, I wasn't ready yet just to be like, let me blast a bunch of stuff out of this mouth, right? I just still needed some time just to be like, when am I ready? Like, am I in a hurry to say a lot of things? And, and just having that silence, I think, sometimes is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ashanti. That's really cool. I'm going to ask you one last thing. As a parting, a parting wish, a parting piece of wisdom, or a prayer that you would send to all of our volunteers, whatever package or form you want, what would you want to say? You're speaking directly to 2,500 people and. 40 cities and 12 countries now. What would you want to offer us? Yeah, that's so awesome. First of all, congratulations on that. That is fantastic. I'm just, I'm just a, a midwife, really. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what I would say is uh, there's a quote that says, the longest distance that most people travel is the 18 inches between their head and their heart. Mm. A lot of times we stuck in our head 
And so we ask people just to keep connecting to your heart. When your head starts taking over and you're saying, and you're asking yourself, am I saying the right thing to this person? Maybe it's a time to stop talking. Because mm -hmm. when it comes from the heart, you know exactly when to stop. When it comes from the head, you keep trying to cover, make it better, make it, make it cleaner, make it tighter, make it better, more beautiful, and make it go viral. And how about you just like get to a place? <laughs> how about you just be in a place where you can just say, that's good. I'm good right there. And so it's a reminder to stay connected to your heart. And um, that's what I'll offer them is just as you decide, you know, I know as you know why you're coming into doing this work, what, what fuels you to be a part of volunteers and this work, you know, just keep listening and keep listening to your own heart. Mm. I think that, that that feels good right now. Mm. Yeah, I could just drink in the silence now with you on that one. Ugh. I'm going to let you go here because I know you're a busy guy and you gave us a lot of your time. Ashanti, thank you. Thank and you. Congratulations for all your good work, too. Congratulations to you and all you're doing. I'm super happy for your organization and for you. And thank you. Thanks for having me on. And let's, I look forward to listening one day, being out there. Yeah. Being able to we'll get some, yeah. of your, some of your guys out. That would be fantastic. All right. Have all a right. good rest of the week. You do the same. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.